This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Can I say this morning, the story of Christ is a story of redemption. It's not a story that we have it all together. And God comes and just recognizes our perfection and goes, wow, I want to walk with them. They're, they're just awesome. No, God's heart, the story of God's heart is that he looks down and he sees, he sees brokenness. He sees imperfection. He sees pride and he sees guilt and shame and he sees all of these things, but he looks down and he sees something beyond because he sees his son. He sees his son that made a decision 2,000 years ago to take upon himself the sins of the world. Your sins. Your misgivings. Your rebellion. If we can get really, really strong this morning. Rebellion against the very heart and purpose of God. Can I say this morning, I have lived a rebellious life. It was no fun. And I have lived a God-honoring life. Much more peaceful. Much more joyful. I believe this morning, and I, I don't even know if I'm going to get through any of this today. I, I've struggled over this particular parable. I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I've struggled over this parable. Because Thanksgiving is supposed to be all happy, right? Yeah? But as, so I'm saying the segue was awesome. Do you know what the root Um, of the opposite of thankfulness is? It's unforgiveness. It's struggling in patterns of unforgiveness. I can say from my own life that when I struggled in patterns of unforgiveness, the very thing that left my mouth was being thankful, being grateful, appreciating what was around me. How many have ever met somebody like that? How many have ever met a Cameron like that? You know what I'm saying? And I can honestly say God wants to take All of that stuff, all of that junk, all of those insecurities and all those imperfections, and he wants to take it and he wants to literally remove it from our lives so that we can have a relationship the way God intended with him. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? I honestly believe beyond anything this morning that God wants to remind you of his tremendous mercy for sin. You say, oh, wow, this is kind of tough. You know, I'm new today, Pastor. I don't know if I want you to talk about sin. <laughs> okay. You know what the problem is? is it's, the Bible says it's sin that separates us. Sin separates. God wants to bring together. God wants to restore. And so I want to share this morning just very, very briefly, and then we're going to have communion together this morning on Thanksgiving Sunday. A parable that deals with the issue of unforgiveness but as I've been reading it, I honestly believe that there's a couple of nuggets, really, really cool little nuggets hidden within this parable that talks about the effectiveness of having a thankful life and overcoming unforgiveness this morning. If you're in this place this morning and you can say that negativity rules your life, can I say this morning, if you decide to let God touch you, you can walk away from this morning no longer allowing negativity to affect your life. 
No longer allowing negativity to rule your life, to tell you what to do, to tell you how to think, to tell you how to respond to situations. How many know that it's the easy road to take to be negative? How many know it's the easy road to take to look at things that are not working out and to keep dwelling on them and dwelling on them? I mean, we all could. But I believe this morning God wants to do something new and different. So this parable, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18. And, and it's interesting because it starts with Peter, the, the disciple, asking Jesus uh, a very simple question. And so we're going to start in verse 21, and you can follow it on the screen behind me. It says, Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Now, you have to understand, according to the religious law, the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the law taught that the, the, the amount of times that you're supposed to forgive somebody is three times. Once they get to the fourth, you cut them off. No longer in your life. That's just how it's going to be. So three times you can forgive them. Fourth is not any good. So Peter, thinking to himself, I'm going to sound really, really, really smart and spiritual. And I'm going to say, Jesus, how many times we should forgive our brother who sins against us? Seven times? That's like more than twice, you know, two times better than the Pharisees. That's got to be like, I got to be like in the good books now. And he goes, "Um, no, Jesus told him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times 7. Hint, hint. Okay, anyhow, um, 70 times 7. Now, when we re- read that, we go, okay, God, what are you talking about? Are you talking about uh, some sort of connection from the Old Testament? Are you trying to talk about 490 exact times so that we have to keep tra- a, tra- a record of exactly how many times someone has hurt us? And once they get to 491, you're out. You've been voted off the island. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. All of those moments. Is it 490? Well, I, I, as I was studying this, I actually found some really, really cool things. Did you know that when the nation of uh, Israel was, you know, literally kicked out and went into exile, they were in exile for 490 years? In slavery. 490 years. Interesting. Do you think Jesus was referring to that? That if you don't understand the concepts of forgiveness and letting things go, then you could live in slavery to your sin and to your negativity for 490 years. Was that what he was referring to? I don't know. Maybe he was referring to the prophet Daniel, who literally says this verse. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24, it says this. Seven times 70 years is the length of time God has set for freeing your people in your holy city from sin and evil. Sin will be forgiven and eternal justice established so that the vision and the prophecy will come true and the holy temple will be rededicated. Was he referring to Daniel chapter 9? 490. He's talking about complete forgiveness. He only talks about complete forgiveness, but he talks about the holy temple being rededicated. Well, in the New Testament, they call the Holy Temple us. Why? Because the temple, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, the Bible says that God comes and takes and lives in residence in our, in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes, takes, and, and, and lives residence in our lives. So it's literally saying that we can be rededicated. What? To a different purpose. How many know that when we're living in unforgiveness, negativity is a byproduct? Wrong perspective is a byproduct. Seeing all the negative situations in our lives is a byproduct. And God's literally saying here, and I, I, mean, I don't know if Jesus was thinking of Daniel chapter 9 at this particular moment, but I wouldn't be surprised. 
knowing how he works. But he wants to free you from evil. He wants to free you from negativity. He wants to free you from those things so you can have a thankful heart. So you can be thankful for what God has brought into your life. Amen? Amen. The Believer's Study Bible says it like this. Jesus confronts Peter with the truth that the spirit of forgiveness really knows no boundaries. I love that. There's no boundaries to forgiveness in God. His mercy is endless. His mercies, the Bible says, are new every morning. A heart filled with gratitude can literally let something go. A heart filled with unforgiveness and struggle can only hold on. Let's go on in this uh, particular uh, parable this morning. And I want you to catch just this one little phrase or this one little thought. Do you know that in this particular, um, this particular parable, a staggering debt is forgiven? I'm going to read this. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 27, it says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, every time I study the Bible now, because I'm getting so inspired by our interns class, and we've gone through the Bible research class, and we're, I'm like diving into more of the Greek and Hebrew than I've probably ever done in my life, just because I'm getting really excited. How many know that they're hidden within the Bible are these little nuggets of truth that unless you know the Greek and the Hebrew or look into it, you may never find it. And so I actually looked into this whole phrase uh, that he, the king wanted to settle accounts. And I thought to myself, I wonder what settling accounts meant to them. And I looked it up, and it was so interesting to me that the Greek word that is used in this particular verse to say that the king wanted to settle accounts was the Greek word logos. Now, you may, some of you may look at me and go, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's okay, I'm going to explain it. So there's two words in the New Testament that are, wor- uh, that are literally uh, translated to talk about the word of God. Logos is the physical word of God. Rhema is the revealed word of God to you personally. So it's where you have a revelation of of who God is in your life. But it's literally saying he wanted to settle accounts. What did he want to do? He wanted to make a decision based upon the word. That changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? He wanted to make a decision to honor God's word and to honor God's precepts. It goes on and it says, and when he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So I just want to give a little perspective. Some of you may have heard this before, but I've actually done my homework. One talent, are you ready for this? Is worth 15 years wages. Okay? So the, so that basically is saying that he had 10,000 talents that he owed him. So if you do the quick math, one talent equals 15 years wages, 10,000 talents equals 150,000 years of wages. You want to do the quick math on that one? Yeah, I actually looked it up. The average, uh, from the last census, the average salary in, in Canada in 2000, and I believe it was from the 2011 census, so it's probably higher now, is in the range of 50,000. Okay? So to do a quick math, 50,000 times that amount of years, $7.5 billion was owed. $7.5 billion. How many know that's a lot? Okay. How many ever think that you could pay that back in your lifetime? Okay, that's what I thought. All right. But it goes on and it says here, oh, I just want to say this as well, just before I go on. So the first verse, it said that he wanted to settle accounts, and it was literally the word logos. And then when it comes to the second line, it literally says the word settle accounts again. But it's interestingly enough is that he doesn't use the same Greek word. 
He uses a different Greek word, and guess what it means? To bring together. The word of God in a circumstance with the hope of bringing together two people. Okay? So the king's response to dealing with unforgiveness was very simple. Focus on the word with the hope of reconciling, restoring, or bringing together those two people that are apart. Why? So that we can break the chain of negativity and unforgiveness in their lives. How many know that your unforgiveness or your negativity never just affects just you? Right? There's always, a, there's always leakage, if I can call it that. It's getting on other people. Right? And so something we've got to look at this morning. I'm going to continue to read on verse 25. It says this. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. I will pay you all. Did you catch what the king did here? It's a very simple uh, statement, simple request, but here's what is very interesting about this particular uh, verse in the Bible. Here's what the king did. The mercy of the king went beyond the actual request. The only thing the servant asked for was patience and give me time to pay off my debt. The master's response was, it's forgiven. How many times in our Christian walk have we begged God for something, just go, God, please have mercy on me, and then he does something way beyond what you could ever imagine? <laughs> and you're sitting there going, but I don't deserve it. He goes, I just love you. This is Jesus loving daddy time. Let's go. How many know that we don't deserve the mercy of God, but yet through Jesus Christ, he brings it with such abundance. The debt that was forgiven was staggering. Staggering. But he forgave him. Verse 27, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Interestingly enough, in the in the Jewish culture, they understood this word compassion. And this is going to sound very strange and very weird, what I'm about to say. But if you have any kind of Jewish background at all, they would absolutely, without, uh, without hesitation, confirm this thought. That the actual word compassion here in the Greek literally speaks about to be moved from the very seat of your innards. And it literally refers to your bowels. It's crazy. But it's literally saying that they understood in the Old Testament, they understood in Jewish culture, that when you truly operated of compassion, the thought was so deep within you that you could not shake what God was doing. That it wasn't just some thought off the top of your head. It wasn't a flippant idea. It wasn't something that you thought, oh, this sounds like a nice idea. It literally welled up from the very depths of who you are. That's compassion. It says he responded with compassion. You know what? I wish the story just ended right there. I really wish the story ended right there. That would have been a great story. You know, guy owes a lot. You know, he begs for forgiveness. Notice his, 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 the presentation of his, of his humility was to actually fall down before the king, to fall down before the master. You know, there was a, a sense of humility, a sense of desperation. He's literally crying out, can you please deal with this? Can you please have patience with me? And his response was, I'm going to forgive it all. But there's something very interesting about here. I was really hoping that between verse 27 and verse 28, there was some sort of verse between there that would say, and this is why the servant would have reason to go after his own servant. But there's nothing there. There's no verse. There's no time period here. He literally gets forgiven everything. 
And I'm thinking to myself, if I just was forgiven $7.5 billion of debt, the first, thing, the first thought in my mind would be like, woo, you know, this is awesome. What's the first thing in his mind? Verse 28. But that servant went out. Now, I want you to catch this. These are cool little nuggets that I found the last couple weeks as I was starting this. The, the, the term went out is the same term that they used to expel people from an assembly. How many have ever been kicked out of school? Don't put up your hand. Okay, come on now. How many had a, a little problem with your principal, your vice principal? You know how it is. How many have ever been kicked out of a, a soccer team or a hockey team or something? How many have been kicked out of a social club? How many have been feeling like you just want to leave because you feel like you've just been kicked out even though no one's saying it? Right? It literally means he went out. In other words, he went out as if he was kicked out. So his response to mercy was the total wrong thought process. He actually thought like somehow he'd just been kicked out of the presence of God. Why? Because he didn't receive it. Why? Because his heart was negative. Why? Because he was dealing with unforgiveness. We don't know what exactly is going on in his life, but to go from verse 27 to verse 28, have that kind of experience, and have absolutely no gratitude, is shocking. It's shocking. Because the debt that was forgiven was immeasurable. It was staggering. He goes, but that servant went out and found one. You know what's very interesting is the Greek word is actually used to, to find. It's the word inquiry. Have you ever heard of the Inquisition? He's going out on an Inquisition to find somebody that owes him something. He was going out with blood. He was ready. He found one of his servants who owed him 100 denarii. So just so you know the math, um, it's actually, I've heard some people say it's like $300. I actually found out it's actually more than that. Uh, I did my study. I did my history. Looked into all of the meanings. One denarii was one day's wage. So it literally means 100 days wage. So it works out to be approximately 20 weeks of a yearly salary, which if you're making 50000 it's in the range of around $19,000. But what's $19,000 compared to $7.5 billion? Now, is $19,000 significant? Yeah, it's a big car payment, right? If we're going to relate it to today, we're getting a year or two old, maybe a three-year-old car, 19000 and you're paying it off for the next five years. So there's significance to it, for sure. So it wasn't anything that was of no, it had no value, but the value in comparison to what was forgiven was extremely different. Okay? He goes, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. Interestingly enough, when the master brought him before him, his first response was to go down before the master. In this particular situation, his response was to grab his servant by the throat. Negativity has a way of making you do things that are pretty crazy. Amen? Goes on in verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. Interestingly enough, same, exact same Greek word that he used with his master. Have patience with me, and I will repay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, I want you to, to, to catch a couple of key words here that are very interesting. Um, <clears throat> the word would not literally means to take delight in or to take pleasure in sin. Changes it, doesn't it? Talks about the willpower to live in sin. The willpower to continuously live in sin. That's literally what it says, I would not. So if you can just picture for a second, um, a child at the age of three that is not getting their way. I will not. That's exactly what this guy is doing. Okay, that's exactly how he's playing this whole thing out. 
okay? And it literally says he threw him into prison. Interestingly enough, it's the same word used in Matthew chapter 13, where actually Scott talked about this back in March, where it literally says when he scattered seed, he would throw the seed around. So it's literally talking about scattering seed. Uh, interestingly enough, in prison, it means to be enclosed or confined. We understand that. It goes on in verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. Grieved means to be sad. And came and told their master all that he had done. Okay? So scenario number one, servant falls before the master. He's forgiven everything. Servant number two, uh, the servant does a chokehold on his servant. And no one wins. So what can we learn from this? Just a couple of key things I want to I share. Let's keep, continue on verse 32. Then his master, after he'd, been call, after he'd called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Wicked means to be a bad character in an ethical sense, to bring toil and peril upon yourself. Begged me literally mean, Oh, this is cool. I found this this week, and I thought this was really cool. Where it says, um, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. So I looked up the word beg me, and it's actually the word, um, I'm going to read it to you because it has cool connections here. It's the word paracleo, which is the root of parakletos, which is helper the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 is the parakletos, the Holy Spirit of God, who's come to help and comfort you in your distress. It's the same word. It's the root word from the Holy Spirit. So he's literally sitting here saying, I forgave you all that debt because you... Huh, wanted help from the Holy Spirit. So the guy who was living in negativity rejected the Holy Spirit. Didn't reject the servant, rejected the Holy Spirit. Can I say something this morning? Every single time that I've been in a bad place, the Holy Spirit tries to get my attention. But how many know what keeps you in negativity is because you're rejecting the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're rejecting the concept of going back to the Word to use as your source and to bring together situations and people that are in front of you. It's this whole concept of, are we going to listen to the voice of God or or, or are we not? How many know that there's three voices that are constantly speaking at every single moment in your life? Number one, yours. How many know that you have a strong voice sometimes? Sometimes your opinion can be strong, but your voice is always speaking. Number two, God's voice is speaking. Number three, the enemy's voice is speaking. And if I can say this morning, the enemy's voice and God's voice are fairly easy to tell apart. I'm just so glad you were here this morning to hear that. I'm so glad you could walk away with just this tremendous revelation. But the enemy's voice and God's voice is very different. The problem is, is our voice swings like on this pendulum, depending on what place we are in in God. If we're in a good place in God, a lot of what we're thinking and feeling is of God. When we're not in a good place, a lot of what we're thinking and feeling is actually from the enemy. So how do we deal with this pendulum shift between thankfulness and unforgiveness, gratefulness and justice? How do we deal with that? Well, you have to determine right away, just like this guy had to determine, who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? Whose voice is going to have greater influence in your life? Verse 33, it says, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. I remember reading that word torturers when I was a kid, and I remember thinking to myself, it's like, 
you know, you start getting all these crazy, you know, B-movie, sci-fi movie moments in your mind going through, and you're thinking, you know, somebody going to come and snatch me from my bed while I'm sleeping. You know, those are the kind of moments that you have when you're like a 9 or 10-year-old. But can I say this morning, there's far too many Christians that live with that same mindset. Now, we're not going to go around and thinking there's going to be some crazy alien that's going to snatch us from our bed in the middle of the night. We're not thinking that. But we live with this seared conscience thinking there's something bad that's going to happen to me. This is how my lot in life seems to be. This is how it always goes. This is how it always works out. I can never get ahead. How many have ever thought those thoughts? I know I have. What does God want to do? God wants you to come back to the source of restoration, the Word, with the hope of reconciliation to bring together by listening to what? The voice of the Holy Spirit who only ever speaks truth. He doesn't speak anything else. Only truth. So truth, in a circumstance where we're being brought together, by following God's word, God's hope, God's heart, brings a breakthrough to negativity. And you're going to see the positivity, if we can say it like this, of thankfulness take over our lives. Can I say this morning, when I had one of my biggest breakthroughs with this particular parable, because this is actually, I know it probably doesn't sound like the, the happiest, is actually probably one of my favorite parables because it's very personal to me because this is my life story. My life story is the older brother syndrome. Remember from the prodigal son? My life story was, oh, I thought I was better. My life story was, yeah, I could, I, I could find the faults in everybody else, but I couldn't find them in my own. I could not see my own faults even if I tried. And I had wonderful people in my life that pointed them out, but I didn't listen. Yeah, Cameron, you got to work on that. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I need to work on that. I'm, I'm fine. Like, well, you know, there's, you know, some of those kind of things you got to. Can I share a story this morning that people love me so much, sometimes they're blatantly blunt. I had a gentleman, my spiritual daddy. I've shared this story years ago, but I haven't shared it in a long time. He came up to me and he says, son, my spiritual father is about, is about 20 years ago. And he said, son, I love you. I went, thanks. That's awesome. You know, you know, you're going to, God's going to use you. I'm like, thanks, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know. He goes, I, I felt God lead me to buy you a book. And I just want to give it to you today. It's just from me to you. Just, you know, my little, my little way of blessing you and helping you. And so he hands over the book. And I, I turn over the book, and, the, and, and I notice it's by Joyce Meyer. And the title of the book is Me and My Big Mouth. And I had a moment, right in that moment, I could either fall down before my master and say, oh, please forgive me of all the times I've messed up with my big mouth, or grab the chokehold on every single person that has done something to me with their big mouth. And guess what I did? For the first 48 hours, the chokehold effect came into, it was good. I was choking, not necessarily physically, but in the spirit, I was choking people because I'm sitting there going, what in the world are you talking about? I'm not like, I'm a good guy. What's your problem? And then about two days later, we had a prayer night, and Bob was there, and, and two other guys were there. And, and in the worship time, um, I didn't last very long before God started to get me. You know how when God starts to put his thumb on you or his finger on you, and you just can't get away, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't run from him? Can I say this morning, don't try to run from God. He knows where you live. 
So it, it doesn't work. Even if you try to run, even if you try to go away, he's got this GPS that's ridiculous. He knows exactly where you are. And you can sit there all day long and go, well, you know, I can, I'll just figure this out. Here's what happened. Chapter 1, day 1, I read chapter 1. I didn't make it halfway through because I thought it was heresy. I put it down. Day two, I picked it back up, and I went back to page 11 where I left off, and actually made it to the end of chapter one. And then I got to the end of chapter one, and the only thing I could think of was all the people had done me wrong. I'm so glad chapter one was just the introduction, and her main point was in chapter two. Then I got mad, made it to this prayer meeting two nights later, God dealt with me. First thing out of it, I just felt the whole night, I didn't say anything, I didn't share anything, God was dealing with me. And then I felt to go home and read chapter 2. So I read chapter 2, started at 11 o'clock at night. I didn't finish the book until about 4.30 in the morning, but I didn't put it down. Because I got to the end of that night, and at 4.30 in the morning, I'm a bawling, blubbering mess. Going, God, you've forgiven me such a staggering debt of all the things that I've done with my big mouth. How in the world could I even think of all the people that have used theirs? There comes a moment we have to put three equations into place. The Word of God, the heart of restoration, reconciliation, to bring together, and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And what most people do are in a negative place. They do not want to hear the Word of God because they know it will convict them. They avoid the voice of the Holy Spirit, and as a result, the voice keeps getting quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter, so it almost fades away. And the only reason they want to bring together is so you can give them a piece of your mind. But what God ultimately wants is for those two, th two things, the Holy Spirit's voice and God's word to be in place so that when you come together, you're getting his mind, not yours. You're getting his mind, not theirs. His mind. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just speak on such a special day, a thank Thanksgiving weekend, a weekend to be thankful and Father, I know, Lord God, from my own life that the biggest killer of thankfulness is negativity, which usually is a root of unforgiveness. So Father, we don't choose to focus this morning on what's been done against us, but we choose to focus this morning on what you've done for us. A staggering debt that has been paid off. We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.